I showed a collection of five of the dress-like forms, and then I showed the, the paintings that were actually stretched too. So, you know, working with these unstretched canvases, some became these forms that were related to the human body, and then some became stretched. And I really like to think of each one as, as their own, and I, I don't want them to be the same in any way. I want to like help push them in their own direction. So as I'm making, I don't necessarily know if, if a piece is going to end up being like what form it's going to take in presentation. I might start off with thinking this is going to be, you know, a stretched painting, but several of those ended up becoming different forms. I start off on the floor. So I work a lot to get started and that allows me to fold and create these different dimensions so then when they're stretched out you can see like the trace of that but some pieces I feel like they they need to be folded and they need to be presented in different ways. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 289th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Kelly Lair, who I spoke with from Fayetteville, Arkansas. We talk all about her studio practice that she maintains there. She's also the curator at 211 South Main. And as always, we talk all about her, her background, and of course, her studio practice in the upcoming episode. Again, that explores a lot of painting, and that includes some more traditional type stretched canvases, as well as those that come off the wall, those that can be worn. We talk a little bit about collaborative efforts with other artists, as well as some site-specific works that are coming up for an exhibition at Boswell Moreau in Little Rock, Arkansas in June. That show opens June 10th and runs through July 1st with an artist talk on June 30th. You can find her website, kellylair.com, and of course, be sure to follow her on Instagram at kellylair. Remember, you can find all that information on studiobreak.com. Get all of our posts there. I have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, to galleries, and of course, you can listen right there on studiobreak.com or just click those links to subscribe to the podcast plenty of news this week we've got an upcoming exhibition at studio break gallery with lisa bergan coy and greg edmondson for the show subset that opens saturday april 15th from 4 to 8 p.m in west chicago of course if you click that gallery tab on studio break you can find a detailed map on how to get here I'm also excited that our 2023 Studio Break student competition is now open. So if you're an undergraduate or graduate studio artist, you can apply. Once again, if you want to find out all about that, you can go to the competition page on studiobreak.com. Just look for that competition, hit that link, and you'll be whisked away. All you have to do to apply is submit a small fee. You send off an email with all of your information and particulars, and you are done. Our juror this year is... Mia Reesberg, who is a artist and curator from Michigan, so super excited. She'll be selecting, again, five undergraduate, five graduate winners, and she'll also be picking two artists to be part of a two-person exhibition here at Studio Break Gallery, so super excited about that. Please help spread the word, and of course, if you know any uh, great students or peers, please share this opportunity. And of course, you can follow us in social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to follow, say hello at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, let's dive right into this interview with Kelly Lair. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Kelly Lair, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you. 
great to have you on. I know, obviously, we've been kind of following back and forth. You know, you're the curator at 211 South Main uh, in Fayetteville, and then obviously an artist. And, you know, I've actually kind of interviewed quite a number of artists that have shown uh, in your space. And so we've kind of had a conversation going and, you know, seeing your work. And so it'd be uh, an excellent idea to have you on. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been fun to to watch um, watch what you're doing and listen to your podcast, and uh, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, I always love knowing more. And we were just talking about this, you know, coming into these interviews. Everybody has such different backgrounds and and interests and everything. So, did you did you grow up in the Arkansas area? Are you an import or? I did. So I, I grew up in a series of small towns in Arkansas, um, moving a lot. So um, at one point, I think I calculated I'd moved 13 times by the sixth grade, but all small towns in different parts of the state. Wow. So lots of transitions. So that must be uh, helpful in your, <laughs> your chosen <laughs> area, right? Just to kind of be able to go like, oh, just change it up. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. And so were you kind of somebody that was interested in the arts or what kind of things were you doing kind of younger? Because I know, again, it kind of came to you a little bit uh, different way than like I was just joking, you know, somebody holding a pencil and then going like, oh, I want to be an artist. But, you know, what kind of things were you interested in growing up in these small towns? Well, um, for me, the place that I have the strongest memories are of making these little worlds in my backyard. So and playing with, you know, the elements mm-hmm. that I could find, right? Like sticks and rocks and pulling out grass to make roadways and pathways and creating, you know, these spaces that I could play in. Mm-hmm. And because we've moved so often, I sort of had these opportunities, right? To create these little worlds and then move somewhere else, right? And create another world. So that's, I mean, definitely I did, you know, the drawing and coloring and all that stuff too, but I think that's the piece that I have these really strong memories that um, still today relate to my work. It's like a site specific installation piece that moves. <laughs> um, well, that's fun. Um, and was that something then that like, as you're kind of getting older, was that something that your parents kind of encouraged you to kind of be creative or kind of explore those types of things? Or I don't know, again, it, it's so weird, the journey that people go on. So, you know, in high school, I started drawing a lot and doing a lot of dresses and thinking that that maybe like fashion design was going to be something that I would do. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a pretty practical family and father who said, <laughs> I will not pay for art school, but I will pay for business school. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like had to go in a different different direction and um, tried for a long time to, to have art and drawing and painting be kind of a side hobby. Um, but that was really challenging for me to do. Sure. But was that something then that you, as you were studying, you kind of tried to do and then it kind of slowly fell off? Or was it something where you're still kind of like interested in the arts and, and kind of doing doing stuff while you're still kind of studying? Because again, it's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I think I was always, you know, doing creative things on the side and drawing. But um, when I realized that I wouldn't be able to to pursue it in, in a traditional way, sort of my second love was travel. Mm -hmm. I started studying to do international business and thought, well, that's a way to sort of compromise so I can still travel and do art on the side, that kind of thing. 
out of curiosity as somebody that also enjoys travel, were some of those highlights? I mean, was that something that you were kind of doing at a young age or something that kind of came as we're kind of talking about more towards college? And maybe remind us too, where did, where did you uh, study? I went to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, uh, my undergrad degree. Okay. I was the first graduate for international economics. So I kind of was there at the right time, like asking about travel and how I could do that. And I, I studied French as well, thinking that I would go to France. Mm-hmm. Wasn't able to find a job in France, but did find this really interesting opportunity with a startup in Moscow, Russia. So after graduating, I moved to Moscow and started um, working for a distributor, but with companies like Anheuser-Busch and Tyson and Sara Lee and those kind of products to introduce them into the Russian marketplace. Interesting. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure like a giant learning experience and, you know, taking things in. And, you know, again, we were joking about how artists have to kind of think on the fly. So, I mean, again, it seems like very, very much a parallel kind of journey. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I had the opportunity to do so many things and creative things like window displays and, um, you know, just just learning and absorbing the architecture there that was just so different from anything I'd ever experienced growing up. Yeah. And well, you mentioned too, you know, fashion, is that something that was then kind of tied into that undergraduate degree experience or, you know, this opportunity as a startup? Well, and so how long were you in, in uh, Moscow? I think you said. I lived there for about two years. So you're in Moscow for a couple of years. How did you kind of, you know, slowly kind of transition? Were there like a number of positions like this where you're working in business and then it kind of slowly kind of you know, moved over to kind of reigniting that interest in art and all of that? After the Russian experience, I came back to the States and moved to Southern California and started working in the high-tech field. So I was working with software companies like Microsoft, IBM. This was in the 90s, right? So when the the internet was like blowing up and working with Netscape and, and all these things. So art, again, was still just drawing on the on the side for me. And it wasn't until 2013 that I took my first art class at the University of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And I audited my first class drawing one thinking, (laughs) okay, maybe I'll hate it. Maybe I can finally let this go. And of course that didn't happen. I loved it. And then after that class, I started actually taking classes more formally. Sure. And I guess what was that experience like? Because, you know, a lot of artists that I talk to, you know, certainly have, you know, maybe some, maybe they're kind of like half in, half out, or maybe they have other interests or, you know, kind of come do it through a different route. Was it kind of just like you're, you know, that student that's always showing up on time and excited about everything that you're doing? It was, I mean, it was, it was challenging because I um, had started a consulting business. So I was working with clients, a lot of clients in California and New York. And while I was going to school, it was definitely something I wanted to do. So I was excited, right, to show the class. It felt like a new beginning for me, but kind of going back to the beginning and being able to pick up on that thread of something I had wanted to do for so long. And so it sounds like then you took a number of other kind of like drawing, painting classes then? or Yeah, I took a lot of classes um, at the university and worked with some really great teachers. And then I... I I don't know, I've taken like 20 classes or something, I mean, 20 <laughs> hours class. And 
I realized that like to get to go ahead and get the degree of the art degree, I would have to go back and take, they had changed their program like two years of foundational classes. So I, I, I sort of dropped that. Mm -hmm. But I had like over time kind of developed an art practice and was starting to make bigger paintings, had gotten a gallery. So things were starting to like move forward for me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, stopped school for several years and decided to go back and get my master's. So I just completed that this summer. And and so, you know, like in this kind of initial rekindling phase, was there like a certain style or, or things that you became interested in? Because obviously your work, you know, currently explores a lot of abstraction, mark making, layering, and, and, and different materials and things like that. Did you kind of transition away from that still life kind of stuff into, you know, really kind of playing around with materials and, and things like that? Yeah, for sure. You know, in school, I was working from observation. My favorite class was probably abstraction from perception. So that idea of like painting from life, but then finding ways to to abstract and to play and to be more experimental. That's where I really was excited with the work. Were, were there any artists that kind of stand out? Because again, it strikes me too, just because you have, you know, this this path where you're kind of pulling away from that to kind of explore something practical um, and get a degree that's practical. Was that something then where you kind of discovering all these artists that you didn't know about? And obviously too, the, the great thing about being in that environment is that you're around all these other artists that are kind of going through the same things, you know, trying to figure out who they are, what they're interested in and things like that. But yeah, are there artists that stand out? Um, well, I think from that time, you know, doing those undergraduate classes, you know, I was really interested in people, and I still am actually, like Lee Krasner, mm -hmm. Joan Mitchell, really looking at a lot of female abstract artists that maybe I didn't know about as well as I knew about some of the, the male artists. Um, so that was really exciting for me to, to discover those artists. And I would imagine then, just like I was alluding to a little bit earlier, again, it's a very strong program. So I'm assuming then at some point people are getting in your ear and kind of going like, you know, you could probably go get your master's and, and kind of pursue that. Is that kind of how it went? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I took a little time off. Like, you know, I also had, I sort of felt like I had two camps of people, people saying, you know what, you don't need a master's. And then I had people mm -hmm. saying, Hey, if you want to keep going, you know, these are good programs to look at. But, you know, I had a, I was in a situation where I had two kids. I didn't want to uproot my family. I didn't want to just go to the best grad school I could get into because mm -hmm. it didn't really work with my life. So I spent a lot of time researching and trying to find a program that would work. Um, I ended up finding uh, three or four schools that had programs that were low residency. So not low residence where you go for the whole summer because I felt like that was too much with, with my children. Mm -hmm. but where I could go, you know, twice a year and then do work from my home studio. So that once I figured that out, it really made a lot of sense. And so what was that experience like? I mean, are you then entirely remote when you're, you know, working in your studio, at, you know, during those chunks? Or again, I can't help but ask because of the nature of the last couple of years, I just imagine, you know, groups of Zoom sessions or something like it where people are kind of doing crits that way or yeah, so many Zoom sessions. So the program that I, I did was at, at Leslie, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And mm -hmm. 
Leslie had acquired the Art Institute of Boston. And so that became their grad program, their MFA program. I worked with one studio mentor a month and one academic advisor a month. So we did Zoom sessions together with those. And because I joined the program in June of 2020, of course, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Really thought a lot about delaying. And I'm so glad I didn't because who knew it was going to last so long. Sure. But the program was really set up already for remote learning. So it was pretty seamless. There were fewer in-person visits, obviously. um, But at the same time, that opened up opportunity to work with people that I wanted to work with that weren't just local. So normally you would work with a studio mentor who was in your area. Mm -hmm. But because of COVID, I was sort of able to just figure out who I wanted to work with and, and work with them. Was that something then too, where you're kind of like taking, you know, cause obviously in terms of an MFA program, you know, it's focused on the studio aspect of things, but they'll usually have, you know, art history classes or like seminar classes. Are these like ones where you're then kind of like a hundred percent remote? And I'm asking as a, as a teacher here, because I'm like, wow, there's such a vast difference when you're, you know, just using an online system and you have no interaction versus you know, when there's even message boards or people kind of like sharing ideas or anything like that. And again, maybe this isn't the most exciting conversation, but I have a feeling a lot of people listening are like, yep, I remember this. Or <laughs> We did critical theory. So the critical theory classes were staged throughout as a two-year program and working with different professors for each critical theory program. And then we would write uh, research papers once a month. Okay. Three to five page research paper on generally a topic of your choosing after the after that first semester. So the first semester you're writing about all the critical theory just to meet a standard. And then um, you work individually with advisors to write your own papers, which was I found really exciting because I could research what I was interested in, what was, you know, exciting to me in relation to my work, but also, you know, write really in-depth research papers. Yeah. And I would imagine too, just because you're in this mode then of you spend all this time kind of with the idea of this is something that I maybe not going to focus on. And now you are, was that something then too, where you're just kind of reading everything? And I don't know, again, there's, there was a time where libraries uh, were common that people went to. I don't know if that was a thing still now, but you know, I love going to the libraries and just, you know, you go for that one book, but then you're like, oh, right. There's like 10 books right around here that are all kind of in that wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, no, it was just such, I mean, looking back now, it's such an incredible time of learning and reading and absorbing and just taking everything in that I could get my hands on. And because I was working with some really great teachers and professors that I could talk about a topic that I was interested in and find, you know, 12 articles and three books and, mm-hmm. you know, like have find access to things that if I was on my own, I think it would have just taken me so long to, to be able to get that kind of information. Well, and obviously then you're also then making paintings and and doing studio work, I guess, is there like a, a formula to that? I mean, are you kind of like working all semester? Are you doing mid kind of crits and things like that? I'm of course just curious because again, it's such an interesting kind of setup and, you know, like I think especially for somebody that, can kind of work like that it seems so sensible and logical yeah it made a lot of sense and it really fit well for me um i think you do have to be self-disciplined 
you kind of have to be, you know, you, you have to be organized and on top of things, right? Um, but we were generally having crits, studio crits every other week. Mm-hmm. And, and the papers were due once a month. Okay. That kind of makes sense. So, I mean, I did find it a bit challenging from shifting from the research writing mode to making mode because they're two very different things but you know you get you get better at it right as you start start doing that and it it definitely influenced the work and I could see the relationship so that was exciting yeah and that would be something you know interesting to talk about you know commonly it seems like those that are kind of like applying with like a, a BFA portfolio they get in and then all their professors are like, no, you got to do something entirely different. It seems like, again, this environment might be because it's so much more self-directed that it might actually kind of work more where they really are kind of encouraging you to kind of elevate that initial thing as opposed to just kind of challenging it. But what are some of those initial things that you're kind of working through and and what was that process like? So I actually, I did really challenge myself and was very much challenged. Mm -hmm. I had this crit with Carrie Moyer, first got into the program, and it was a one-on-one Zoom crit and got to show her my work. And mm-hmm. she was amazing. And she saw a lot of things in my work, and she, but she also challenged me. And she said, you know, if you really, if you really want to do the MFA program, you got to pull it all apart. You got to strip it down. You got to look at all the elements and build it back again. And so that's that's what I started to do. And that's what really led to working on paper, pulling the canvas off the stretcher bars and working with it as more of a malleable cloth instead of like this pristine surface and kind of just questioning everything and pulling everything apart um, and then building it back with, for me, really more more meaning and more about the process and the way I'm making things is the way of the, is building in the meaning in a deeper way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, because before you were kind of talking, you know, about some of those earlier experiences back, kind of just abstracting from something that you're observing. And so you're kind of building on that in a way to, you know, start to kind of build content, you know, something that's going to say something, but then also it sounds like you're very interested in that that way that things come together, that process of kind of working through things. So I would imagine then that, you know, during this time, you just kind of got tons of different stuff kind of going on at the same time. Cause again, I know sometimes artists will work, you know, certainly like that all over the place. And then sometimes artists are just very singular. Like I've got, you know, 20 hours to get this thing done. This one thing. (laughs) When I started the program, I was working on small uh, works on paper partly because of COVID, right? And I had kind of moved from my studio, which I was sharing a space into my home just because of COVID. So I was working on these small pieces of paper and I started using a scraping tool and playing with surface interference. So little bits of paint and debris that would build up on my surface and kind of using those chance elements as a way of making pattern. But I realized that I was still feeling a distance with my work. And that's what led to wanting a more like haptic connection, wanting to interact with my materials in a deeper way. That's when I started working with those big sheets of unstretched canvas and really thinking about new ways of working with the canvas that 
I started exploring. That's when I started exploring the fold. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I just want to direct everybody again, you can check out work at kellylaird.com. Uh, tons of work. I'm assuming these works on paper that we're talking about are that category that starts off back in, in 2020. So it's very interesting to kind of see these and lots of work too. So were there kind of any like I don't know, newfound kind of like techniques or, you know, again, sometimes people get really kind of traditional in terms of the way that they think about applying things. So when I think about somebody that's working very process driven, you know, you might be dragging stuff across the floor or masking stuff out or scraping stuff or kind of using funky tools. Was it just kind of like a, a free for all? Let's, let's see how I can affect the layering that's going on in these, these paintings or these works on paper. Yeah, I think the works on paper really had to do with a kind of adding and removing process that was a call and response and using a big scraping tool, which, you know, I discovered in my research, Jack Whitten had also used a tool similarly, he called the de developer. And so that was kind of exciting to, to find his work and the correlation and how they were speaking to each other. And there were a lot of elements that were, even though I was scraping paint that related back to sort of reflections and light and capturing things in a moment that were very interesting to me. Yeah. And again, noticing too, like in some of them, we'll start to kind of explore some different materials aside from just the acrylic on paper. So that idea of layering or starting with acrylic and then kind of working over the top of, I'm assuming is something that you kind of start to kind of come back to a work and you know, see what happens when you kind of explore that material in a different way. I'm curious then too, like, you know, in terms of colors then, is that something then where it might be just the start of a piece that you were starting at that time where you just start with that first layer and then it's kind of like a response to that each each and every layer sense or, or? Yeah, definitely. And I think I try to let each piece be its own thing and be very unique and respond to, to what's happening. Sometimes something that I'm seeing out in the world will come into the studio and I'll use that color as kind of something that I want to explore, but definitely think of color as relational and so much mm -hmm. about what happens when you put another color with it and then what happens. So it, it becomes this kind of call and response. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I love that kind of like dissolving aspect to, to quite a lot of them. I mean, again, there's like this really rich kind of textures where you kind of see these color transitions, you know, where almost aside from looking scraped, it almost looks sanded in some spots. So again, it's really interesting that that surface quality. And obviously, you know, you're making a bunch of these. How did how did you start to kind of transition to to other works? And I imagine then that you're also kind of doing you know, more traditional paintings at the same time or? At the time, I think I was doing some drawing from life, but I don't think I was really making traditional paintings at that point. Well, I just mean like, you know, works on canvas that are stretched as opposed to works on paper. Yes, that's true. I was continuing as I was working on those papers. Um, once I got back to the studio to continue kind of work on these larger paintings that I had been working on mm -hmm. that were more organic forms. They had a lot to do with sort of emerging and then disappearing and, but they were based on more natural organic forms. I'm curious then too, like, is, is that all then just something where it's about that language that you've been developing and you're just going to put something down and respond to it? Or is it something where you're 
And I always have to ask, like using a sketchbook to kind of work out compositions, or is it all just something that just happens live? Um, mostly it happens live. I, I usually have like a sketchbook or just in notebooks that I'm, I do little sketches and I actually recently have been doing these grid drawings where I do lots and lots of little grid drawings that really have to do with space and movement and composition. And so I don't really directly try to make that big, but it, it really informs my process when I start painting you know, like, I like that kind of like balance between the the different ways of, that you're kind of working, you know, like, again, maybe the works on paper are smaller and more intimate. We've got more, you know, larger kind of surfaces with stretched canvases. When did you start kind of experimenting with, you know, more like off the wall kind of paintings using, you know, maybe just unstretched canvas and. Yeah, it was, um, you know, really thinking more about touch and haptics and wanting to interact with my materials in a deeper way and started working with the canvas more like a malleable cloth. And then as I would work with it, I realized that why am I limiting myself to stretching it on this tradi traditional stretcher bar? Like, are there other ways that the work could be shown that would mimic in some ways the way it was made. So I started playing with ways to fold the work in its actual presentation. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of led to, to some of these works that kind of look a little bit more like dress-like forms that I think talk to the human body in a different way than my, than my paintings were and that were more in relation to the way I was feeling at the time and, and making. Well, and it looks like, again, there, there's a collaborative work, sounds like, uh, for a work called Her or an installation. Maybe talk to us a little about this, because, again, obviously, you know, we've got like the, I think, at least a handful of like kind of those works on, on canvas, but then they're kind of also kind of like stretched in the corners, they're hanging. That was a great experience. I was able to collaborate with a performance artist, and I had wanted this idea of the painting hanging on the wall that the artist could take off the wall as part of her performance, use it in, in this performance and then hang it back on the wall. So I'd put little like arm pieces within the painting. So as you see it hanging, you don't really see that. Then it's, it's just activated in a different way. I was thinking a lot about performance in painting, the gesture, but also the history of of different performance paintings. And then I also, as part of that same show, hung paintings from embroidery hoops, but the embroidery hoops are, you know, positioned differently, right? Than tra their traditional form. And then folding paintings and stacking paintings. So, so thinking about the finished painting compared to the painting in progress, comparing to the uh, rejected painting that I thought was a failure and collapsing those kind of hierarchies into one piece. And again, thinking more conceptually about process. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it allows uh, a viewer to kind of interact with it in a totally different way than they would have before, you know, where it's just static work framed or, you know, something like that. It just becomes interesting. It looks like too, in terms of timeline, maybe was this something that people could actually go and, and actually experience or kind of see? Because again, my, my pandemic clock is you know, I sometimes forget which year it is, you know, but like, I would hope that people could kind of come in and kind of witness this and kind of experience it. It was a show and it was June of 2021. So people were starting to to come out a little bit. Right. That makes sense in terms of timeline. Yeah. 
And is that kind of what sparked that interest in starting to kind of collaborate with other artists? Or I'm assuming maybe you've always been kind of interested in that, but it's always a challenge when you're trying to plan something out with somebody and, and kind of see where your ideas align. But I think it definitely influenced me on thinking about painting as in the expanded field and thinking about how can we start to interact with paintings in different ways and thinking about how paintings create movement in space. So not even with, not just within the traditional rectangle, which I've always been interested in movement and how the space works, but thinking about how when people come into the gallery setting, how they move in space and depending on how paintings are positioned, it creates flow and it, it creates movement in itself as a way to kind of just think about moving paintings forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, tell us a little bit about your, you, I believe said that your MFA was not that long ago, but tell us a little about the, the exhibition and, and how, how did you start kind of conceptualizing this, this exhibition? And, and obviously, you know, a couple of years of your, your research essentially. Yeah. So I did a collection. I showed a collection of five of the dress like forms. And then I showed the, the paintings that were actually stretched too. So, you know, working with these unstretched canvases, some became these forms that were related to the human body and then some became stretched. And I really like to think of each one as, as their own. And I don't want them to be the same in any way. I want to like help push them in their own direction. So as I'm making, I don't necessarily know if, if a piece is going to end up being like what form it's going to take in presentation. I might start off with thinking this is going to be, you know, a stretched painting, but several of those ended up becoming different forms. Kind of going with that process. And I start off on the floor. So I work a lot to get started and that allows me to fold and create these different dimensions. So then when they're stretched out, you can see like the trace of that. Mm -hmm. but some pieces I feel like they they need to be folded and they need to be presented in different ways was there like a again like a lengthy you know research paper that kind of accompanied this I mean did you have a talk and all that stuff like it's interesting to think about it relative to timeline and you know obviously too with the low residency MFA I have no experience yeah definitely I mean the research papers that I was working on things like Donna Haraway and the Cyborg Manifesto. And, you know, I started writing these, these dress, I call them dress-like forms because I don't know what to call them. I mean, I think of them as these spaces to feel and shields mm -hmm. and they have a lot to do with both presence and absence. So while they do kind of mimic somewhat of a human form, there are also spaces in between and they they're painting, so they're paint on canvas, but they're hung in a a different way. Mm -hmm. So there, there was a lot of research and a lot of finding artists like Sam Gilliam, who created, you know, these sort of cascading and draped pieces that some of his works, you know, would evoke like a cape or some kind of like garment-like piece. And those kinds of work were really influential to me also, um, Eric in Mac, who had a show here at Momentary not too long ago, he uses fabrics and, you know, actual clothing in his work. So there are a lot of artists that I was really looking at at the time. 
I'd say on a more personal level, I lost my aunt during the this time. And the first one that I made was really for her. She was, um, she made dresses. She made my prom dresses growing up, my wedding dress. So there was like this, this personal thing. And it took me a while to show the first one because I thought, oh, this isn't real work. This is something else. So that's kind of how it came about. For me. I would imagine then that kind of opens up a lot of new avenues in terms of, you know, think about where you can go with this. You know, that's always something that I think about when, you know, you're talking to artists, there's usually some shows that kind of, you know, wrap something up, but then there's always this new thread that you're kind of chasing. But I would imagine given that circumstance, it just allows you then to kind of be really open in terms of the things that you're kind of exploring now. For sure. And I'm now I'm starting to explore more site specific installations. So thinking about, I had a show at Lyon College um, and I was able to, you know, work with the floor plan and build a model and think about the space and what I could do in that space for the people that were, you know, going to enter the show and how they could experience it differently. So one of the pieces I created, you know, had a, a floor and a, and a wall and a ceiling and pillows where people could sit and spend time with the work. So things like that, that have definitely opened up, I think, because of that. Yeah. And, you know, something that we maybe kind of alluded to, you know, on the outside of this a little bit, but it's also super connected is, is your, your work as a curator. So when did, when did that all come about in terms of, you know, also kind of pursuing your own, your own studio practice? In 2019, I was asked to start curating a small gallery space in, in Bentonville. And I started working with artists at that time. I had never curated before. And I've learned a lot. It's been really fun to do that. It was called the Gallery at Midtown. Um, and I was able to kind of work with the owner to, to remodel the, the space and have it be a separate gallery within, within an office space. Awesome. And, and obviously then too, you know, we were talking a little bit about this. I mean, again, I've interviewed a number of artists, you know, from University of Arkansas Fayetteville. So I'd imagine too, like just being in that, that kind of atmosphere, you know, you're, you've got all these great artists to kind of interact with and kind of start showing, maybe talk a little about that. Cause obviously, again, that's one of the interesting things about it. You're, you're doing this low residency MFA program, but then you've also got all of these other artists that you're, I'm assuming kind of interacting with at the same time, um, just cause you're putting on shows and talking at openings and. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I think that is so important, right. And um, doing the MFA low residency, a lot of the people in my program were from the East coast, which is great. And we would do zoom calls and stuff, but I think it's really important also to have people locally that walk into your studio and you can walk into theirs. And I love visiting other artists' studios and seeing what they're working on and, and having that kind of interaction. I, I started a program with the university of Arkansas for MFA grads so that one slot a year, one show will be for, you know, one to two of the MFA students. So we'll be opening that up again in April. As a curiosity then, so like these artists that you're kind of bringing in from outside of that, you know, local area, I mean, are are these just artists that you're also kind of like following, researching via social media or? 
So the focus on this gallery that I'm curating for um, is really local and regional artists. That is kind of my um, goal is to find people that are, if they're not here, they have a history here or they have some connection here. I'm curious too, like obviously we've got some things kind of coming up in the works in terms of your your own studio practice, but then I'm, I'm sure that you've got all sorts of other stuff coming up with the gallery. If I'm not mistaken, you've got a, an exhibition coming up in June, I want to say? Well, it's going to be at Boswell Moreau, which is in Little Rock. And it'll be opening June 10th. It'll be the opening reception until July 1st. I'll be giving an artist talk June 30th. And I'm going to be doing at least one site-specific installation there. Um, And probably right now, I'm guessing there'll be about 20 large paintings. I'll have some small paintings too. It'll be the biggest show I've had ever, really. Yeah, for sure. Again, you've got to have a, a busy schedule. I'm sure people ask you every once in a while. Is it, again, just that discipline side of it coming from that, you know, that background of, of business where it's just like, you know, everything's just planned out to kind of work through it? Yeah, I think, you know, organization is the only thing <laughs> that helps me to survive on juggling a lot of balls and, uh, you know, keeping it all. But at the same time, as as much as I try to be organized, I try to be flexible too and, you know, look for opportunities and openings and not be too rigid in what I have planned out so that I can flex and, and see like, what can I respond to? And um, like, for example, the artist that we have in the gallery right, right now, Sam King, he did an artist talk and he's, um, we're working on a performance piece. So doing things that are maybe a little bit outside the box and thinking about ways to expand the gallery too, you know, and do do different kinds of shows, do maybe a show that travels, like trying to think about those kinds of opportunities as well. Absolutely. And, you know, just remind everybody too. So where are the best places to check out, you know, what you have going on and then obviously the the gallery? Probably Instagram is, is the easiest. It's just Kelly Lair. And then the gallery is 211 South. My website is just kellylair.com. Assuming then there's all sorts of wonderful posts to let everybody know, not only like, I don't know, I, I know, obviously I've seen plenty of studio work and and things like that, but you're posting and and kind of sharing shows and everything regularly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I need to get better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it seems like there's never enough time, right? Well, excellent. You know, obviously it's it's exciting to have you on and, and to talk about your journey. Again, super interesting. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks again to Kelly for joining me. Be sure to check out our website, kellylair.com. And of course, follow her on Instagram. Say hello at Kelly Lair. That exhibition opens at Boswell Moreau, June 10th and runs through July 1st with an artist talk on June 30th. Once again, be sure to follow boswellmoreau.fineart on Instagram. Just a reminder that we do have an exhibition coming up at Studio Break Gallery April 15th from 4 to 8 p.m. Lisa Bergant Coy, Greg Edmondson in subset. Super excited for this exhibition, so come on out, meet the artists, say hello. If you want information, a detailed map on how to get out here to West Chicago, just go to studiobreak.com, hit that gallery tab, and you'll be 
transported. You'll have a map right there. Very easy to find the place. I'd also like to alert any students that are listening. If you are an undergraduate or graduate artist, you can apply to our 2023 Studio Break student competition. Once again, you can go to studiobreak.com, look for that competition tab. It has all the information there. You just submit a small fee. You send off all of your information, a link to your website and Instagram, and you are done. Our juror this year is Mia Reesberg, who will be selecting, again, five undergraduate and five graduate artist winners that will appear on Studio Break and on the podcast. She'll also be selecting two artists for a two-person exhibition at Studio Break Gallery. Hey, since you're on Studio Break, you might as well look around. We've got a ton of different interviews, all archived going back to the beginning. Each of those posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites. You can also subscribe to our newsletter there. Once again, we'll be submitting newsletters every once in a while, kind of throwing out announcements and things like that, opportunities. We'll also be giving away one of my paintings at the end of the year to kind of help boost that. So sign up. It's super easy, and we will not flood your inbox. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can check out some of Ben's paintings on Instagram at mbencohanstudio. And of course, be sure to follow Brett Beery. There's a link there for all the albums that he's produced on Bandcamp. That's at Brett Beery. You can also find Brett's label, Typical Stereo Records, on Bandcamp. That's where our EP is from last April, Lawn Dreams by Golden Shadow. So you can check it out there, listen, buy it. Again, you can follow us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band. If you're interested in checking out some of my work, you don't have to go too far as David Linaway is integrated into Studio Break. So check out some of my paintings. You can also find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at David Linaway. Be sure to give a shout out. Say hello, especially if you enjoyed the episode. I'll give a shout out right now to Gloria Ann Shows. That's Gloria Shows Art on Instagram. Thanks so much for your kind message. Again, really glad that you enjoyed the podcast and it's helping to get you through some wonderfully fun studio hours thinking about art. So glad that you found the podcast and glad that you're uh, with us. So thanks again. All right. And that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll talk to you real soon.